0: This greatest work of John Owen is a work of gigantic strength as well as gigantic size, and he who has mastered it is very little short of being an erudite and accomplished theologian. End quote. That is J.I. Packer quoting Thomas Chalmers on John Owen's commentary on the Epistle to the Hebrews. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review Hebrews by John Owen, or oh, to be more precise, the Crossway Classic Commentary a bridge Version of Hebrews by John Owen. The original commentary on, on Hebrews uh, spans 7 volumes uh, clocking at 3600 pages. The abridged version, on the other hand, is a part of the Crossway Classic Commentary Series edited by Alistair McGrath and J.I. Packer, and it is a manageable 270 pages long. It is also the Logos free book for the month of December, which explains why I managed to finish it. Because I need to review it for you. <laughs> now, who is John Owen? Well, Uh, I first heard of John Owen from a a sermon that uh, Pastor John Piper preached where he said that John Owen is a great theologian and you can learn a lot about sin by reading his book, The Mortification of Sin. I I got that book, I read it halfway, I couldn't finish it because it was just so full of, of deep insights that I just... Every, after every chapter, I had to just stop for a moment and just think about what John Owens has just described. It was a really good book, and one day I do hope to return to it. In fact, if Logos makes it a free book of the month, then I'll probably be forced to finish it. Anyways, uh, John Owen was born 1616, and he died in 1683. And he was—he is—and uh, sorry, he was an English theologian. And according to the Biographical Dictionary of Evangelicals, I quote: uh, He was, without doubt, not only the greatest theologian of the English Puritan movement, but also one of the greatest European Reformed theologians of his day, and quite possibly possessed the finest theological mind that England ever produced. So many superlatives in that sentence, in that description of John Owen. And I find it serendipitous that in this Biographical Dictionary of Evangelicals, the next entry after John Owen is J.I. Packer. Now, Packer has done much to bring Puritan writing to a modern audience. And Packer is responsible for this uh, abridged, uh, edited version of John Owen's commentary on the Hebrews. Now, I have the original seven volumes. I just have them. I can't say I read them. I would say I barely even read one page. Uh, and you'll soon find out why. The first two volumes uh, on this on this uh, seven-volume set is on the authorship, uh, which by the way concludes that the apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. And uh, so it's on authorship and other background and introductory and uh, theological matters. Okay. So the the commentary proper, okay? So if you want to read about Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, that commentary begins in volume 3. So he has spent two books, not two chapters, two books, two big giant books, just talking about introductory matters. And to read the book, if you're not intimidated enough yet, uh, you have to know Greek, Hebrew, and Latin because he doesn't transliterate them. The Greek is in the original Greek uh, alphabet the hebrew is also in the original hebrew alphabet and latin is latin if you and you also uh, would gain if you are comfortable with reading puritan english with its own vocabulary and way of writing the writing style um, And in addition, it also helps if you are familiar with church history. So you can kind of uh, get an idea of who the characters are. It doesn't come in necessarily all the time, but it does help. For example, after everything I just said, you may be curious, how does a passage uh, sound like? And let me quote. Uh, Owen is commenting here on Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6, and he writes, I quote, Hence, Tertullian, in his book, The Poenitentia, reflects on Zephyrinus, the Bishop of Rome, that he had admitted adulterers unto repentance, and thereby unto the communion of the Church. But that Church proceeding in her lenity, and every day enlarging her charity, Novatus and Novatianus taking offense. Thereat, advance an opinion on the contrary extreme End quote I don't understand what he just wrote It is in uh, older English This is the original text of uh, Owen's writing 400 years ago And I don't understand So um, that is the challenge of reading the original uh, Owen uh, commentary so let us leave that behind. Let's leave that behind and move on to the abridged version edited by J. I. Packer. And we must thank Packer because by writing this abridged version, uh, that which meant that he actually read the full seven volumes, which is a heroic task in itself, he then compressed and translated John Owen's masterpiece for us mere mortals to sip at. So we want to say, oh, thank you so much, J.I. Packer, who has uh, gone to be with the Lord in in heaven. And thank you, McGrath. Thank you, Crossway, for this wonderful uh, single-volume book, 270 pages worth of condensed uh, uh, piece of writing from John Owen's uh, huge uh, tomb. Now, Packer preempts our thanks by writing in his introduction, I quote, Today's evolutionary mindset makes us expect Puritan Bible work to be cruder and shallower than ours. But this classic work joined hands with Matthew Henry's great exposition of the entire Bible to prove us wrong, even when downscaled as drastically as it is in this abridged version. To present it in this way, in a form more palatable to a modern readership, is for me A privilege indeed. End quote. Packer, what a humble guy. Now, from now onwards, when I refer to Hebrews by John Owen, I am referring to the abridged version edited by Packer. And Packer, in this uh, book, has excluded the discussions on the author, dates, and uh, introductory themes. He just excludes all of them. The book is structured as 13 chapters corresponding to the 13 chapters in the epistle to the Hebrews. Okay, So it follows the Bible version of the book. So each chapter is broken down into groups of verses, okay, which corresponds to John, uh, John Owen's outline. And the outline is uh, in the beginning of the chapter is described in brief tells us what this uh, chapter is about. Then he tells us what these verses are about, so this grouping of verses. And then he goes down into, he drills down into the individual words. So for example, uh, when we have in the Bible Hebrews 1, okay, chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, uh, the the Bible goes like this. Uh, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom we also he created the world. End quote. To explain, at many times Owen describes the progress of divine revelation in four principal parts. First was to Adam; the revelation was first to Adam, then Noah, then Moses, and finally through Jesus. So he he writes and he expounds a bit more, just to give you an idea of how much exposition to expect. Hebrews chapter one verse one to two consists. Okay, the Bible. Okay, the Bible. Uh, the two verses in the Bible consist of forty-five words, uh, depending on which translation you are using. Owen's Abridged Commentary uses two thousand five hundred words, or uh, I copied them into Microsoft Word, uh, which is four pages. Okay, so he uses uh, uh, four pages worth to expound two verses. Now, if you like math, that's a fifty-to-one ratio: fifty words to expound one word. Okay. So just for fun, I checked how long was the full director's cut. I copied the text from from which I got a Logos version uh, from into Microsoft Word. Okay, this is the full seven-volume huge book, and I was scrolling and scrolling, just scrolling, uh, dragging the cursor, trying to find the end of his commentary on verse one and two, and it took a long while to scroll through. And Owen's unabridged, unabridged, the complete full director's cut version on Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 2 is 41,000 words, all 61 pages. That's a whopping 900 to 1 ratio, 900 words to expound one word in the original Bible text. So, that is a huge thing. So anyway, I just did that for fun so that you know that this, uh, well, for one thing, J.I. Packer did a huge amount of work in in, a, in a, abridging this, um, this uh, work. Now, when you're reading any commentary on Hebrews, you want to give special attention to how the writer interprets Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6. This is a very interesting verse, verses. End quote. So that's from the Bible. And uh, the word impossible to restore to repentance has caused no end of controversies. Okay. People argue and debate about what does it mean that you it's not possible to restore to repentance. So Owen here takes the view, okay. I'm just gonna talk about Owen, I'm not gonna study and analyze this uh, controversy. So Owen takes the view that the people described here are not believers. I quote his conclusion at length. Um, From this description of these people, we can see who the apostle has in mind. It is clear that these people are not true and sincere believers, in the strict and correct sense of that name. There is no mention of faith or believing. In the following verses, they are compared with the ground on which the rain often falls, but which bears no useful crop. But this is not so with true believers. It is clear that these people had been recently converted from Judaism to Christianity. They received special privileges, for they had received extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as speaking in tongues or performing miracles. These people have, had found in themselves and others convincing evidence that God's kingdom and Messiah, which they call the coming age, had come on them, and they enjoyed their glories." It must have been some horrible frame of spirit, some malicious enmity against the truth and holiness of Christ and the gospel that could turn people like this from the faith and blot out all that light and conviction of truth that they had received. But the least grace is a better security for heaven than the greatest gifts and privilege wherever they may come from. End quote. So here you see that um, this is the way uh, Becker has translated or has um, edited John Owen's writings. And it's coming in very clearly, We this very difficult verse. We understand what John Owen thinks about uh, Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6. Now, whether you agree or not, that's another thing. Uh, but let's move on to another interesting interpretation of John Owen. And that is on Hebrews 5 verse 12. I thought this was interesting because I never heard of this interpretation before. Now, we are very familiar with this one because it's the verse that says that the Word of God is living and active. Okay. Now, the way I understand it, and I, I thought the way everyone else <laughs> understood it, was that the Word of God... Here refers to the Bible, that the Bible is living and active. Owen presents and defends the view that uh, the Word of God here refers to Jesus Christ. As per John chapter 1, the Word made flesh. So he presents these uh, reasons, and I won't go into that. But I thought that was an interesting way of reading that passage. And I'll give you another one, okay? Uh, in Hebrews 11, we have the famous heroes of the faith Let's Remember Hebrews 11, you have Abel, you have uh, Abraham, you have Moses and so on. Okay, There's a whole list of people. So verse 4 in that chapter uh, reads this way. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Let me ask you the question. Why is Abel's sacrifice more acceptable? Now, my answer was, I'm still thinking about John Owen's interpretation here. Uh, my answer was simply that Abel gave his best while Cain did not. Okay, That's something I heard being preached. I don't didn't think too much about it. I thought it makes sense. But John Owen offers a surprising interpretation. Now, bear in mind, uh, uh, I have not studied the letter to the Hebrews before, so I'm easily surprised. Now Owen writes, I quote, The difference between Cain and Abel was Abel's faith. As their faith differed, so did their actions and the objects they used to sacrifice with. Cain considered God only as a creator and preserver, whom he offered the fruits of the earth. He had not thought about sin or how to be delivered from it. Abel's faith was fixed on God, not only as a creator, but as redeemer also, as the one who in his infinite wisdom and grace had appointed a way of redemption through sacrifice and atonement. So Abel's sacrifice was accompanied with a sense of sin and guilt, with its lost condition by the fall, and a trust in the way of redemption and recovery that God had provided. This is borne out by his type of sacrifice, which was by death and blood. Death, which he deserved because of his sin, blood, which was the way atonement came. End quote. So when we ask when I ask the question why is Abel's sacrifice more acceptable, uh, Owen thinks it's because Abel saw God as redeemer, not just creator, which is what Cain or how Cain viewed God only as creator. So I thought that was again a surprising interpretation. I'm not sure how far I want to uh, how how much do I go along with that, but again it's something uh, it is when we read different interpretations that we can think about um, about the passages that we read. So I have shared three excerpts from this book uh, which shows I hope the gems of insight that we can garner from the I quote, finest theological mind that England ever produced, end quote. Now, call me shallow, but every time I read or finish a Puritan book, even this abridged one, I I celebrate it as an achievement. (laughs) Um, Because uh, Puritan books, even modernized ones, I find quite uh, tricky to read uh, sometimes. I make much of the fact that this uh, is a condensed version of seven volumes into one volume because i want to remind everyone that one man made a gar- gargantuan effort to study this one letter okay john owen's made a great effort to study the epistle to the hebrews and uh, john owen wrote this with a purpose to edify christians he did the hard work and we benefited just because now just because Owen wrote more than 2 million words in this commentary doesn't mean that we suspend our crit- critical thinking and accept whatever he wrote. No commentator is authoritative in the way the Bible is authoritative. Okay, So let's just get that out of the way. Even so, I finish in one month an abridged reading of a work that John Owen took 16 years to write. Volume 1 was published in 1668 and the work was complete in 1684. That's 16 years to write more than 2 million words. So it is not an understatement to say that John Owen spent a lot of time to think about uh, the epistle to the Hebrews and his reflection is a benefit to us all. And... If you put that uh, uh, here and and you think about it and you and you just think about what Packer has done, what JI Packer has done um, to read all that and to compress it, and uh, he has made Owen's thoughts and interpretation accessible to a wider audience. Honestly, Owen's original volumes may be too much even as a reference book uh, for today's scholars. Uh, the Greek, Hebrew, Latin uh, is is a barrier, I would say, probably not to many seminarians, but definitely to the general Christian leader, uh, reader. And it presumes quite a bit of knowledge on the reader, which uh, I think just simply shames us uh, to, to show how Christian scholars have regressed over the centuries. We we definitely don't know as much about church history or, or church writings as much as John Owen here presumes. So, all, what all that means is that the original seven volumes is simply too dense and would almost never be read if not for Packer's abridged version. Okay, so we thank him for that. And I need to say all these things because I'm going to critique the book. This is the Christmas season, and uh, after reading this Hebrews, I just realized that Hebrews is as natural to Christmas as Christmas trees and decorations. Normally, for Christmas, we would read Isaiah or Matthew or Luke. Now you can add Hebrews to the list because uh, it explains why the incarnation is necessary. In that sense, I'm grateful to read Hebrews in this Christmas season. And uh, what I mean by that is, I the Bible, uh, Hebrews, rather than the commentary by Owen. The problem with the Owen's uh, book, edited by uh, Packer, is the structure. Uh, For all of Packer's genius in editing, his writing is superb and all, the structure is not designed for easy, light reading. Uh, On the other hand, by condensing the book, uh, Packer cuts off the scholarly, nitty-gritty, detailed discussions, which better fits the book's structure. You know, it goes down from chapter, then goes to grouping of verses, goes to verses, then goes to words. Um, So the way it's structured it makes it very difficult for light reading but because it's so cut down it's too light for academic or heavy reading when you read this commentary you you need to keep the Bible open that's another thing because when Owen expounds on individual words okay it's easy to forget where those words came from. It's like you dive deep into a world and go deep, 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 deep and then you get lost in the deep waters and then you are now thinking what was the sentence where this word came from? And... um By the way, this means that it's a good reason to use Logos because you can link the Bible with the commentary. So you can have on your left uh, tab, you have the Bible. On your right tab, you have the commentary and any commentary, including Owen's commentary here. So you scroll the commentary and the Bible will magically scroll to the right verse and it works the other way around as well. Now, this is a really good feature, especially when reading a book like this, because Uh, If you don't have the Bible open, you will find it difficult to follow the detailed word-by-word exposition. Then uh, another final critique, I think this is the final critique, uh, there is the quality of the exposition. It is uh, mixed. Sometimes the exposition seems redundant. For example, Hebrews 11 verse 2 reads, okay, this is the Bible, the Bible says, this is what the ancients were commended for, Hebrews 11 verse 2. Now Owen expounds on these uh, three words, he, exp- he, he divides it, the ancients, commended, and This, the word this. (laughs) Now, so all three of them is explained quite briefly, okay, it's very concise. And let me give an example. To explain commended, okay, the word commended, Owen writes, okay, this is his full exposition on the word commended. I quote, they received this witness in the scripture, although it was very different in the world, end quote. I appreciate that you may not understand what I just read. Okay, well, What does it mean by that? And I assure you, it's not me wrenching that sentence out of context. Even with the thing in context, if I read the, the preceding words and the success- succeeding words, it still doesn't really make sense. Owen, or more accurately, I suspect Packer, gives us a sentence that kind of forces us to read the full version, Okay, the seven volume one, Uh, to actually understand what Owen wrote or meant by that. So oftentimes, as I read this commentary, I'm reminded of a conversation I heard about a seminary student. A professor asked a seminarian who was reading some commentaries, "Uh, do you understand what you read? And the seminarian answers, no. But when I read the Bible, the commentary makes more sense. Do you get it? Normally we go to a commentary to help illuminate a difficult Bible passage. What is the sense of the what is it saying? Now it's the other way around. We in order to understand the commentary we have to read the Bible, which is a nice thing, but uh, I felt that many times reading this Owen book I don't understand what he's saying and the Bible uh, Hebrews makes more sense. <laughs> Uh, if you're going to spend money on this book as a reference, I would suggest maybe you get a good Bible dictionary to do word studies. You can then use that same dictionary that, uh, to study other books in the Bible, not just Hebrews. Uh, if you Again, the word-by-word exposition uh, would be helpful there. On the other hand, if you want to study the epistle to the Hebrews, there are many, many options out there that is more suitable for either devotional reading or as a technical reference. The original seven-volume Owen commentary is fantastic as a technical reference, if you could understand it. And uh, the abridged commentary, uh, this uh, Packer-edited uh, version, is uh, very not friendly for devotional reading. The way I see it, you should Only read this commentary because you want a glimpse of John Owen's thoughts on Hebrews. Because you know that he is a great theologian. I don't doubt that at all. And you just want to know how he deals with certain passages in Hebrews. Or another reason why you want to read this commentary is because you need to complete Tim Chalice's reading challenge. So Tim Chalice has this uh, reading challenge where there are different categories and there is one category which is that you read a book written by a Puritan. Like I said earlier, I am more satisfied than I should be that I finished John Owen's Abridged Commentary on Hebrews. Uh, It's so nice to be able to finish a Puritan book. So And I managed to do that thanks to the Logos Free Book of the Month program which uh, gives me the book for free. Honestly, I probably... After reading it, I, I won't pay money for it. But if you want to, I think that is definitely an option. And um, also, thankfully, I have this reading and readers podcast that actually pushes me to finish the book. So, in fact, um, thinking about Tim Chalice's reading challenge, you could actually join me for a reading and readers challenge. You can join me to read every Faith, Life, and/or Logos free book that comes out every month. Then you can drop me an email or tweet and tell me what you think about the book or about my review. Now, before I end this episode, I have a bonus for you. When I reviewed The Psalter Reclaim by Gordon Wenham, I introduced poor Bishop Hooper to you. There, Every Psalm Project, which releases a song based on a psalm each week, is a great companion, I told you, to read the psalms with. Okay, You read the psalms and you listen to the music. Fantastic. Now, for today, I want to recommend a must-listen album to go along with any reading of Hebrews. If you are reading or you have finished reading Hebrews, or you're gonna preach it or study it or do a devotional on it, on the on the epistle to the Hebrews, you must listen to Salos. Okay, Salos is spelled P-S-A-L-L-O-S. Let me say it again: P-S-A-D-L-O-S. O S, and that's the group's name. Okay, and their album uh, that I'm I'm recommending here is titled Hebrews. Okay, so Salos Hebrews. Now, this is simply a work of creative genius. The album progresses through the episode to the Hebrews. The first song song begins at Hebrews 1, and the last song ends with Hebrews 13. They don't just take the words and then just uh, create some lyrics or songs uh, out of it. They actually convey the feeling, the theme of the letter. Now, think about this. How can you make a song about Jesus as High priest. When was the last time you heard anyone sing about Jesus as high priest and the technical aspects about it and singing about shadows and types? All right. So talking about uh, things like that and why uh, uh, there's a need for high priest because the the, the human every day the Israelite high priest was this not good enough. Those are theological concepts that again most people don't even. Many Christians I wouldn't say most But many Christians Are not aware of Much less able to sing about So the genius is in the lyrics And uh, I want you to listen To this part So just a snippet Okay It's a two minute plus snippet uh, And then uh, If if you can't catch the lyrics I ask that you Read the show notes Or you go to Readingandreaders.com Where I'll just put up the lyrics Or you just search for Salos Okay Salos is the group's name And Hebrews uh, it's the album and it's song number 10 okay it's song number 10 now let me play the snippet for you listen to the lyrics
1: let me tell you about the high priests chosen from among men sin to represent them and to act on behalf of a people that have a sin problem let me tell you about the high priest Every year there's a day Where they, well, he enters in the holiest place To ask grace to be saved from the sin problem Let me ask you about this high priest Sounds like a righteous guy Is his life spotless and sanctified Nothing condemning him like a sin problem Let me tell you about the sin problem The funny thing is has the same disease so we must atone for his own sins first what on earth it's like he's not a very good high priest how's he gonna intercede when he's got the same infirmity wouldn't the lord show anger towards him as well because he's just as sinful as the rest of israel yeah I see your point but you gotta see mine these men were appointed by gods Designed to die No, design to sympathize with the lives of the Israelites I think you might be losing your mind there, Tom Sympathy's not going to save I land. know, but listen to what I'm saying, Kelsey These guys are like shadows and types Yeah, ineffectual types No, guitar's an ineffectual type But, but what, what we can agree, agree on is this Jesus, he is, is better, he is infinitely better, better. Blameless, spotless, sinless, righteous, able to fight this sinful itis, able to right these wrongs that plague us, able to justify and save us, able to sympathize with the weakness cause he has taken on flesh to seek us. He is better in every way than the Levite priests of the Old Never cease, and he is of the order of an ancient priest, as said by the Lord, who declared it so, and appointed him a priest by the word of our Let us tell you about this great high priest.
0: What cracked me up was when Tom, the male singer, says, These men were appointed by God's design. Kelsey, the female singer, then shoots. Designed to die? Tom answers, no, designed to sympathize. So, (laughs) it's not a song that you can sing along with in the church, okay? It's not something you sing on Sunday service. Although there are some songs that you can sing along. It's, It's a mix. Their uh, Hebrews album, just like their other albums, Romans, Philippians, and Jude, have a mix of songs that are fresh, theologically insightful, and together the songs make the album complete. I want to just quickly explain what I mean by complete. Have you noticed when you listen to hymns, as opposed to contemporary Christian music, that hymns seem to progress towards an end. For example, "Amazing Grace." Okay, you you you're familiar with the first stanza of "Amazing Grace"? Okay, it ends with "When we have been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun." So there is a progression in "Amazing Grace" towards heaven. Okay, that is the end. So what happens in that one song, "Amazing Grace"? Okay, there's a progression towards a complete story is something that happens for the entire album for all the albums that uh, Salos releases. So for example, when you listen to Hebrews or Romans, I really love Romans. It's my first introduction to uh, Salos and it is my favorite from Salos. It feels complete, okay? The album feels complete because it begins at the beginning of the biblical book and it goes through the emotional theological journey in song and the album ends where the book ends. It's beautiful, ingenious. I think every theologian and and Christian should like, follow, and subscribe to Salos. I just love what they are doing and I really hope that they will continue doing what they are doing. Salos can help you get Hebrews into your head or reading the the Hebrews in the Bible will help you understand what Salos is singing. And uh, I think that uh, John Owen, the most... finest theological mind in all of England, would love Salos, or this least what they are trying to do in their songs. And that's my bonus to you. A very quick review on a song that will go along well with your reading of Hebrews. So, this is a reading and reader's review of Hebrews. The Crossway Classic Commentaries by John Owen. Edited by J.I. Packer. Series editor is Alistair McGrath. I didn't see a kinder version in Amazon. Uh, The cheapest I saw was a paperback, which is selling for $10.66 as of Boxing Day 2021. And uh, for the next five days, uh, until the end of December, it's free from Logos. And if you are up for the Reading and Readers Challenge, again, I invite you to join me in reading next month's free book From the good folks at Faith Life. Faith Life releases a free book every month and it should be out on the 1st of January. And my review, if all goes well, should be released on the 10th of January. So that's me wishing you uh, now a blessed 2022 and may the good Lord bless your family and you.
1: Thank you.